<laughs> who'd ever heard of Bestbridge Online and who'd ever heard of a Zoom meeting? And we've learned a lot. <laughs> You're a marvelous example to others and just continue to be who you are, a genuine, loving, caring individual. My left arm was amputated just above the elbow. Hello, and welcome to Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, a podcast where we put the spotlight on seniors, their perspectives and life lessons, their joys, their losses, but just about every facet of a life well-lived that's still being lived to its very fullest. I'm Aaron Davis, your host, along with Lloyd Hetherington, a wonderful man who, like most of our guests on this bi-weekly visit, lives in one of the Schlegel Village's retirement and long-term care residences. Lloyd is actively involved in the community, and he's an advocate for lifelong learning. Today we have a special guest named Annie Whittle. She has, at 95, so much to share with us. Her surprising connection with one of the hottest music stars of this newish century, all through her passion of knitting, her drive to never allow boredom to seep in, and how to eat a pomegranate? Well, at least the very clever way that Annie's mom taught her. In, over, out, up. In, over, out, off. Lloyd, I'm just... That sounds like knitting. Uh, yes, it is. You see now, Annie, I was just getting ready to tell Lloyd that I'm I'm sort of preparing myself for you because I think that this can be our mantra for the whole thing. In, over, out, up. <laughs> And so much fun to be talking with you. Thank you for being with us today. There's a real nitwit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Now, do we have to get all the knitting puns out of the way right now? Or are you going to keep us in well, stitches the entire time, Lloyd? <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll save some for later. Okay, because we're here to listen to Annie's yarns. Yeah. All, right. <laughs> all right. Okay, enough, enough. I can't, I can't. I could do this forever, I promise you, but I won't, I won't, I won't. Well, I love that we're starting with a laugh here because even just talking about knitting, and knitting has a significant psychological and social benefit. It's been found to contribute to the quality of life. And Annie, if you don't mind me mentioning you being 95 years old and can you attribute your longevity to knitting, or what is your secret, my dear? Just keep busy, whatever you do. Yeah. Enjoy life. Oh, I love both those, keeping busy and enjoying life. And you sure have kept busy. To hear some of your accomplishments, I am just amazed. Knitting since you were, what, four years old? Yeah, four years old, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of wool that you have gathered. Well, when we were kids, we only had little bits of wool. You know, we didn't have a lot of wool because I was the eldest of seven. And so there wasn't much money, so we had little bits of wool. But when I was at school, the teacher um, wanted me to knit her uh, tea cozy. So I oh, I had big balls of wool, so I was in my glory. So, uh, so I knitted a tea cozy, and then I started knitting her vests and uh, 
a nice silky wool, so that was nice, too. I don't know that we've met a professional knitter before, but you were knitting and crocheting items for wholesalers to sell to stores like Eaton's yeah. for more than six decades. And I know now, Annie, when we talk about you know buying clothes or buying pieces from an accessory store or from the Bay even or something, you think of all of these boxes shipped over from China or something, but there you were hand-knitting these pieces. Mm -hmm. What were your most popular items when you were doing your knitting and crocheting? Mostly hats. Mm. Mostly la ladies' hats, teenagers' hats. When Barbara Ann Scott was popular, the skater, mm -hmm. we did her, her hats, the little bonnets, and they were really popular. And then we did baby sets and uh, baby loop booties and bonnets and uh, all kinds of things. So you were in style. Like, you were right on top of the styles then. Oh, yeah. But now you're literally on top of the styles style now. And <laughs> lest anyone think that I'm stuttering, Harry Styles, which yeah. for those people who think it might be, you know, a dog grooming store, it's not. It's, of course, Harry Styles of One Direction and the actor and now Fashion Maven. He wore this sweater and darned if Annie didn't get right on top of it. Can you tell us that story? Because it made it into the Hamilton Spectator, too. Well, it was my granddaughter. He's her heartthrob, so <laughs> she's been to see the band twice. Oh. Anyway, she uh, got the pattern off the Internet, and she said, Grandma, could you do one of these? I said, well, yeah, of course <laughs> I could. I said, I'm always up for a challenge. So anyway, it's, it's a, it is it was a challenge at first, but now... I mean, I'm got them up. I'm do. I've done fifteen, so I'm uh, amazing. I'm, Andy, what have you done with the fifteen sweaters that you've made? Um, some of the people here have got one. Uh, my granddaughter's got one. Her friends have got them, and then uh, she sold a couple. So, uh -huh. and then I've got another one to do now. Somebody saw it in the Spectator, what? so I've got another one to amazing. do. Amazing. So. Amazing. And for anybody who hasn't seen it, the sweater is like, it's got all kinds of different stitches, like garter stitch, moss stitch, houndstooth pattern, different colors. It's color block, patchwork, mm -hmm. cardigan, and it's unique, except that it took someone like Annie to be able to do this mm. thing. Incredible. Well, when I said to my granddaughter, when I finished the first one, I said, Abby, I said, it's big. She said, Grandma, it's a man's jacket. <laughs> right. <laughs> But anyway, they, she loves it. She wears it at the mall, and they said, where did you get that? She said, my grandma made it. They said, no way. Well, <laughs> so. these things retail for more than 2,000 Canadian, the original ones, the cardigan made by the uh, British fashion label J.W. Anderson. Can I ask you, Annie, what your daughter charged for an Annie original? I think it was about $200. Wow. She went to the States, but one went missing. Uh, it never got there, so I had to do another one. Poor kid. She had to lay out the money for another one. Oh. But uh, post office was supposed to be tracing it, mm. but they never did find it. So. Oh, what a shame. But a, yeah. $200 for an original like that? What a bargain. Mm. Just, it is incredible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're doing something at 95 that is so 21st century, I mean, being tied in with Harry Styles, and yet it is this talent, this gift that you have that you and your six sisters all learned. You said your mother taught you all to knit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we had to keep busy, you know, we had to keep oh. busy. She said the devil finds work for idle hands. So, uh, and, and when my three sisters were over here for my 90th birthday, 
they were sitting on the Chesterfield and I was on the love seat. We were all knitting <laughs> and my mother's pictures above us on the wall and we're saying, look what you did to us. <laughs> oh, you know? goodness. You have to share with us the story of your mother teaching you how to eat a pomegranate. I just love this. <laughs> I love this. Well, she used to send us to the greengrocers and we get a pomegranate and then she cut it in two and she'd give us a pin and sit us on the step and we'd eat it one seed at a time with the pin. And uh, by the time we'd finished that, she'd finished her work. So uh, she never told us to get out of her way or keep quiet mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm busy. She just found us something to do. And uh, it was eating a pomegranate because we didn't see them during the war. And when I came over here, my brother-in-law came in with a pomegranate. I said, oh, a pomegranate. I said, I'll get your pin. He said, what for? I said, to eat it. He said, so he, he broke it apart and just took a big bite. I said, hey, you don't need a pomegranate like that. You know, so. <laughs> oh. That's hilarious. Yeah. And of course, now in 2021, can you imagine the mommy groups going crazy that you're giving your child a pin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. A little straight pin, too. Oh, oh sure. Mm. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Never thought anything about it then, you know. I think there is the danger, isn't there, Annie, that we we become overly protective Mm -hmm. and we want to wrap our children in bubble wrap and keep them (laughs) on the shelf so they won't get hurt? Not then, no. Mm -mm. No. Mm -mm. Growing up when you were young, it was different, wasn't it? Yeah. Pumps and bruises and all. Different generation. I was brought up in a village, so everybody knew you. So if you did something wrong, your mother knew before you got home. Uh-huh. So, you know, yeah. And then they, somebody somebody else would give you a cuff behind the ear so until you get home. So huh. <laughs> nowadays they'd be up for abuse. Exactly that. So tell us, Annie, when did you come to Canada? 1946. And you knew basically nobody here. Only my husband. Yeah, And, and your <laughs> yeah. husband. You met him while you were training him. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was reboring an engine when I met him, so... You were what now? Reboring an engine. We used to do all the army trucks and the gun tractors, build them all up, rebuild them. Uh-huh. And so I was reboring an engine and uh, when I met him, so... Uh, I was full of grease in overalls and a bit of a mess. Yeah, well, you must have been a hot mess because you two ended up together for how many years? Well, 44 when he died. It would have been 76 this year. Goodness, that's so young. Yeah. So young. So you came to Canada, you said, in 1946, Mm -hmm. right after the war, Mm -hmm. and you didn't know a soul. No. So how did you get to feel at home in Canada? Because this really has served you now even later in your life. Well, I, I, we went to church and I joined the ladies group at church and then I joined the Boiling League. And uh, so I just met people. I just love people. And you definitely love people and you get to retain the memories of them so that when you greet some a year or two or three later, you say, I remember you or I remember some of your family members or your friends. You are remarkable in the way you retain the memory of the people that you do meet. Yeah, well, t- today my son picked me up, take me to the hairdressers, and I was telling him things he, he did when he said, I can't even remember that. I said, well, Jeez. I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, Annie, you put us both to shame. I mean, Lloyd, did you or I go to the hairdresser before today's podcast? No, no we did not. No. Well, I go on Thursdays anyway. Oh. It, wasn't, it, it wasn't just for the broadcasting. Oh. For, oh. Okay, uh-huh. okay. You're making us feel special for a moment. Speaking of making people feel special, this seems to be 
truly a gift that you have because in your effort to fit in and to meet people and to join up with things, you have now become like an unofficial ambassador to the village of Wentworth Heights, where you are in Hamilton. Tell us about that, your head ambassador resident. We just we just love that. Well, I just love it here so much that I just want everybody to love it too. And I feel, I mean, it's like being a hotel. It's like being a holiday all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's so great that I just wish everybody would uh, feel as great as I do about it, you know. Uh-huh. Attitude is so special, isn't it? But my mother was like that too. She she helped everybody out, even though she had we had so many kids. She was always helping. We always had the only ones at our house because there was always somebody for every age group. And my dad mm-hmm. used to come out and play with us, so uh, he was a big kid. So uh, so we always had lots of fun. So he always came down to our place. We always had a house full anyway. So my mum used to. <laughs> During the war, we got two ounces of baking fat. And this little old lady, well, she was, I guess she was only in her 40s, I guess, but she was a little old lady then. And uh, she used to say, I used, to, I gave Mrs. Reed my two ounces of fat because she needs it with all them kids. She didn't say she went home with a basket full of baking. So <laughs> she, she'd take her little fruit pies home and her pies, she'd take all her baking home. and uh, But she didn't say that. She just said she gave... My mom, her fat because she needed it, you know. Wonderful. So there was this sharing, this, you know, everybody's in it together. And that is the feeling that that you have spread as head ambassador resident. (laughs) Annie, what what kind of advice do you have to people who are even at, you know, in their 70s, 80s, 90s, trying something new, moving from a home they've been in for their entire marriage or a lot of their lives and stepping into something new like the villages? What is your best advice to them when they get there? Just join things and meet people and uh, and just whatever's going. If the, if I see something going on, a game or something, I just go in and look and see what it is. And I hadn't played canasta since the 40s. And uh, a lady had studied canasta, so I went in and she she said, have you played? I said, not, not for 60 years. She said, sit down, it'll come back to you. So um, now I love it. We play twice a week now, uh-huh. so I, I love yeah. that too. I mean, any game, if I see a game, I'm there, you know, so... Yeah. I mean, I know I was scared of my own shadow when I came to Canada, but now I don't care. You know, so if I saw two people talking, I think they were talking about me, and I'd say to my mom, "They're talking about me." She said, "Well, they're talking about you. They're giving somebody else a rest." So, <laughs> so, so that was it. So now I don't care. They can say what they want. Right. I don't care. And you may have been scared of your own shadows at one time, but you're the one creating the shadows now with the brightness of your life. <laughs> no kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Your mother sounds like a great philosopher in her simplicity, but her wisdom. And there's a wonderful quote that your mother shared with you. Could you share that with us? Oh, the the path of life lies before you as white as snow. Be careful how you tread it, for every mark will show. Oh, isn't that marvelous? But she had to learn it all herself because she was only 13 when her mother died on Armistice Day in the First World War. And uh, her dad was overseas. He was in Egypt with the war. And it was six weeks before he got home. And she was working from six o'clock in the morning till noon at the uh, weaving. And uh, then half a day at school. And then she had to come home and cook because she had an older brother and a younger sister. Nowadays, the children's aid would have stepped in, but there was no such thing then. So she had to look after them till her dad came home. 
And uh, so and then she married my dad at 20, had me at 21, and she had my youngest sister at 41. So oh, she said for 20 years she was either nursing or carrying, you know. So uh, so goodness. she had she had a hard life, but you'd never know it. I mean, she lived to be 95 too, so. That's incredible. She said hard work never killed anybody. It was the thoughts of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like she raised some strong daughters. Yeah. And six he, girls, six girls. Did your dad ever keep hoping for a son? He did get one in the middle. Oh, okay. Yeah. Three, okay. Three girls and a boy and then three more girls, yeah. Goodness. What a sandwich that was for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. You are the embodiment of the spirit of life. And I want to share with you a quote here, if I could, Annie. And it comes to us because you took up ballroom dancing with your husband. Mm. And then when he passed away, you didn't want to stop dancing. So you signed up for line dancing. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, I thought of this wonderful quote from a woman I just adore called Anne Lamott. And this deals with grief, but it also deals with what you went through and what you did. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to share it with you and with Lloyd. You will lose someone you can't live without and your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up, and you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn to dance with the limp. Mm. That's you. I mean, mm. it is you. Mm. You know, you've taken everything that's come your way. And you know what? It's Lloyd, too, because, Lloyd, you find so much satisfaction and joy and fulfillment in other things now, don't you? I, I definitely do. I look at a role model like Annie there and wish that I had that to get up and go. But I, I found out, outlets for my feelings and emotions because life does go on. There is a the gap in my life with the loss of my wife three years ago. But she would not want me to sit around moping and just feeling sorry for myself. Because we are to live. And so we quote, for me to live is right now reading, some writing, talking to people like yourself. And it gives me some sense of purpose. And you don't let the grass grow under your feet. You just uh, live life to the fullest. Mm -hmm. And Lloyd is a writer. You may not know this, Annie, but he was published this year in Reader's Digest. Oh. Yes. But you are an inveterate letter writer. Oh, Tell yeah. us about this. And you appreciate mail so much that you're the one who delivers it in your residence. <laughs> you're, you're just a, such a connector. So... Tell us about that, won't you? About, first off, how did you get to be the sort of the informal letter carrier there at the villages? Well, I just asked, uh, you used to go to the office to get your mail. Right. And so I, I said, who delivers the mail? So the lady said, well, I do when and if I have time. I said, well, I could do that job. She said, it's yours. So. <laughs> ah, yeah. so. Good. And do you ever knock at the door when you deliver the mail? Is it a chance to get some FaceTime or what do you do? Actually, it's usually night when I deliver it after we've played cards. So I usually get it after supper. And mm -hmm. uh, so we play cards till nine o'clock. So then I they deliver the mail then mostly. Mm -hmm. 
But if I see it, if I see him in the dining room, I'll give it to him there. You know, like because it's our mm-hmm. floor. You know, so if I see him, I'll lend it to him there. So, but uh, if I don't see him, I'll just put it in the mailbox. Yeah. You probably connect with people quite often, though, as you deliver the mail. There's something very special about the messenger who brings the message. Mm-hmm. You have your chance to chat, your chance to catch up on what's happening. And it's another another opportunity to be in touch with people. Someday they'll say they'll be sitting out talking. They'll say, "Any for me?" I said, "No, I've paid all the bills." Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, isn't it sad that mail has degenerated to that? Mm-hmm. One time the mail, the letters were just lovely epistles with such vitality and such such color to them. Now it's just, "Hello, how are you? I'm feeling good. See you soon. Goodbye." And. Uh, there's no body to the letter at all. Mm. Well, I've got I've got four pages written out to my sisters. I I write a bit every day. I haven't picked up my pen today because I haven't picked up my knitting needles either because I haven't had time to turn around. But uh, yeah. I will tonight. I'll write some tonight. But I write a bit every day. Sometimes I'll write a page. Sometimes a few sentences. So, but every day I write and tell them what's gone on, and they feel like they're here with me all the time. So. It's so wonderful to feel connected like that. It's almost like a journal that you write. And then, and if you have the gift, and I sense that you probably do, of putting it in your voice as you write, then undoubtedly your sister feels like you're just sitting there on the couch together knitting. Yeah. Talking to him, yeah. yeah. Which takes us back to your schedule. Because if I heard you correctly, you said after you play cards at night is when you deliver the mail if you have the time. <laughs> Don't you get up at like 5 or 6 in the morning every day, Annie? Well, between 5.30 and 6, yeah. Heavens. If, if I'm any later, is it my day's gone then. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Really? Okay, then. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> oh, you must love these long, long summer days, then, all of the daylight and, and everything. If there was more hours, I like 36-hour day, 10-day week. But, uh, <laughs> you would, huh? Yeah. When we got new ministers, I'd say, well, a 36-hour day, 10-day week. He said, I'm working on it. I said, well, you're not doing a very good job. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, don't forget, even even God had to take a day off well, when I'm, he was creating the world. So, uh, come on, Annie, slow your roll a little bit here. <laughs> I'm sure he got tired on Sunday, else he would have met a few more days, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so, the Daily Mail. They did a little survey, and they asked, what contributes to longevity? And I need to ask you, in all honesty now, Annie, which of these you subscribe to? We know for sure two of them. One of them is being stubborn. The other, second, is keeping busy. That's you, to a T. And then positive attitude. So what about the being stubborn part? What would you say about that? Actually, no. I, I go with the flow. I don't want to be stubborn, no. I don't like to rock boats. I like to be, uh, I like peace. I like to keep peace. Yeah. Uh, mm. You are a peacekeeper, but you strike me as a person who has very firm values, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't think many people would walk over you, Annie. So <laughs> you wouldn't label yourself as stubborn, but you're firm of opinion, firm of mind. Oh, yeah. And in some ways, that, that's stubbornness. In the best ways. Uh, in the best oh, yes, ways. indeed. Well, if if somebody was going to hurt my kids, then I would, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, I would do, I, I would stick up for my kids. You know, I'd be stubborn then, you know. But, yeah. uh, I mean, they don't need any sticking up for anyway. They're good kids, <laughs> so. <laughs> they're in your mold, are they? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, actually, they're all adopted, so. Uh, but uh, But the two oldest ones are like me. 
and my David is the spitting image of my husband, and, oh, and his mannerisms, his mannerisms, his disposition, his caring, everything. Huh. But uh, the other wow. two, I know when we when we got David, we were at my neighbor. My neighbor came out and she said, "Whose is that?" I said, "Mine." She said, "What do you mean yours?" I said, "Mine." I said, "We just got him." She said, "You're stupid." She said, "You got two of your own, and you go and adopt one." I said, "Well, the oldest two were adopted too." She said, "Don't tell me that. That oldest one looks like you spit him out." <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh goodness! And well, isn't know, that something? And you know, I had a picture of my three, and my sister had a picture of her three boys in the same position. And uh, when my mum and dad were over here, my dad said, "Oh, that's our Mar- that's Mark, Philip, and Stephen." I said, "No, it isn't." I said, "It's Mark, Laurie, and David." Mm. He said, "It's Mark, Philip." And he said, "That's our Mary's boys." I said, "No, it isn't, Dad." I said, "It's my three, and there's such a, a family resemblance; it's unbelievable." Oh, my wow. uh, my my oldest son and my sister's oldest son, you two are they were brothers. It's the nature versus nurture, oh. mm-hmm. and uh, clearly there was a lot of you and your husband that rubbed off just mm. from raising these children. Yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the old the oldest two are so much like me. It's unbelievable, you know. And their coloring was uh, well. When girls started wearing jeans and jean jackets, my Laurie would say, "Mom, Mrs. Thompson, call me Mark again." She said, "I didn't say anything." But you know, when boys had long hair and girls were wearing jeans, right? It, everybody would call her Mark. She said, "I didn't say anything." But you know, so. that's amazing. Amazing. Well, when you find a good pattern, whether you're knitting or choosing your family, you just stick with it, Annie. And uh, any advice you'd like to wrap up with here before we let you go and get to your extremely busy life? Because this has been such a pleasure. Thank you. Do you have any advice for us before you tie off, as it were? I don't know just what I always say. Keep busy and keep moving. Keep keep ahead of the Grim Reaper. and Keep moving. Mm-hmm. Keep yourself busy and do whatever you want to do. If you like it, do it. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it, you know. So, but uh, I just enjoy life and enjoy people. And uh, yeah. and if, if anybody's uh, new, I, I was like, when, when we were line dancing, if if I heard an English accent, I'd say, where are you from? They'd say, Blackburn or wherever. I said, oh, come and sit here. So we had a whole ro- row full of Lancashire people in the first row were all Lancashire people dancing, you know. So, Goodness. But if I saw somebody new looking around, I always say, come and sit here, you know. So uh, if you look like they're lonely, you know, I don't like to see that, you know. Uh-huh. So I... I say, come on in here. Well, that is just the perfect metaphor for what we're doing with the green bench. You don't Mm. want people to feel lonely. You don't want them to feel, you know, like strangers. So come and sit here. Mm. And if we're truly lucky, Lloyd, maybe Annie will teach us a stitch or two because you've certainly (laughs) shared a lot of wisdom with us here today. Mm. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much. It's just been a delight. Your philosophy of others first. and You pour yourself into people. And it's come back to bless you again and again, I'm sure. So thank you so much for sitting with us on the green bench. Thank you for the inspiration that you've given us. (laughs) Thank you. Lloyd and I are so looking forward to our next inspiring chat, too, with a true trailblazer in a sharp blazer the entire time. Betty Ann Miller. Moving fast forward through a marketing man's world, she's a strong female role model and continues to be, with some mottos that would make even Annie drop her knitting to take up needlepoint just to put a few of them on a pillow. 
Don't miss another woman of influence on The Green Bench. Please subscribe for additional episodes every two weeks, and you'll be notified just as soon as they're up. Share your thoughts and opinions on social media using hashtag Elder Wisdom to help others find us on this green bench. And please just take a moment to rate and review the Elder Wisdom podcast. We'd love that. And if it's easier, go to elderwisdom.ca to find the link. While you're there, be sure and sign the Elder Wisdom Pledge. On behalf of Lloyd Hetherington, I'm Erin Davis. Thank you for sharing in these wonderful stories, and we'll talk with you again soon, because your seat on the green bench is ready and waiting. Elder Wisdom, Stories from the Green Bench, is brought to you by Schlegel Villages, a complete continuum of care, offering independent living to long-term care, celebrating and honoring the wisdom of the elder. To learn more about us, please go to our website, schlegelvillages.com.